In 2009, a Norwegian company created a bracelet. And this bracelet was special because it had the technology in it similar to a lie detector where it could sense changes on the surface of your skin. And uh, what they did is they did design this bracelet for stock traders in the Norwegian country. You see, people know, they know from experience that when people have a lot of anxiety, when people have a lot of stress, when their you know, temperature begins to rise inside of them, they begin to make uh, mistakes that aren't very smart. They begin to make trades that aren't very fruitful. And so they knew that if they could just find a way to read how these stock traders were feeling and let them know how they were feeling, then maybe they could help these traders out. And so what this bracelet did was sensing the chemicals in their skin somehow, similar to a lie detector, they would have a light on there and it would light up either green for like you're good to go, keep trading, yellow for hey, your anxiety and your stress is getting a little high, you need to be worried, or red for hey, you need to take a break. Because if you start making decisions right now, you might make a decision you regret later. Now, I don't know what anything's come of that. Obviously, I haven't been to New York, and not, but I would bet if you've been to New York, you probably won't see a lot of those bracelets. But it did get me thinking about this. If all of us in here had one of those bracelets on, what color would yours be today? Would it be green? Would it be yellow? Would it be red? You see, the Bible actually talks a lot about anxiety and about stress and about worry. It talks about those moments that are temporary and, and that we all have that are stressful and, and have a lot of anxiety. But it also talks about those everyday moments and those everyday routines that really wear us out. And that's what this series we've been going through in, in Matthew chapter 6 called Cash Cares and a Good Christ reminds us of and is talking to us about. And one of those passages that really gets down to the concept of worry and stress is Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 34. Now, Matthew 6, 31 through 34, especially 31 through 33, is one of my favorite verses and passages in the whole Bible. It could be, you could consider it one of my life passages. I have sought out this passage in the past. I have fallen on my knees and prayed this passage in the past. I have cried over this passage in the past. I have clung to it and held firmly to it when I was worn out in the past. This passage has been a driving factor in my own life, and, and it has helped me get through a lot. And so here's the reality I want to convey to you before we even get started talking about it. There is no way I could ever create a sermon that can fully convey the power of Matthew 6, 31 through 34. But I hope, and my prayer today, is as we talk about it, that you'll be able to feel a little bit, that I can maybe crack open it a little bit so you can sense what God wants to say to you in these four verses, these short four verses. And so in verses 31 through 34, Jesus first explains why we as believers shouldn't be worriers and be anxious in verses 31 through 32. And then 33 through 34, he explains what we should replace worry and anxiety with. And so let's read the whole passage. That's only four verses first, and then we'll break it down. Verse 31 through 34. It says, Do not worry, then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? 
For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In verse 31, Jesus says the first reason not to worry. He says, don't worry, because worrying is what non-believers do. Don't worry if you're a Christian, because that's what non-believers do. Verse 31, he repeats again the main command that's really been driving everything since verse 19. And Jesus says, do not worry. And then he goes on to describe what type of worrying that Jesus is concerned about. Because he... He's not really concerned with uh, the type of forethought that makes us want to plan things out ahead of time or be wise with our finances. And he's not even really concerned with this temporary worry that makes us work hard and be productive people. What Jesus is concerned about is the type of worry and anxiety that consumes our lives, that makes us sick to our stomach, that leaves us feeling depressed. And so he says in verse 31, don't ask all these questions. And in the tense in verse 31 of these questions, is not of somebody saying it once and doing something, but of saying it over and over. It's a habitual continuous. It's a picture of somebody going, what am I going to eat today? What am I going to eat today? What am I going to drink today? What am I going to, am I going to wear today? What am I going to clothe myself today? Oh my goodness, what am I going to do today? And you might not exactly be worried about those three things, but do you have, or how often have you had, worrisome thoughts just playing in your head over and over and over again? Jesus says, don't worry. And in verse 32, he tells you the first reason why. He says that's because worry is really more characteristic of somebody who's lost, not somebody who's saved. The word Gentiles was used by the Jews back in the day, technically for anybody who wasn't of Jewish descent, but it kind of got broadened in the first century church to mean anybody who wasn't a part of God's people in general. We usually don't use the term Gentiles for that. We use the term lost people or non-Christians or non-believers. And he says these people who don't know God, these people who aren't following Jesus, they eagerly seek out these things in life. And that the picture of eagerly seek is not having an idea of what you want to go for and walking straight toward it. But it's actually a specific word meaning to walk around in circles. To kind of trample around in a room, to look under chairs, to turn over cushions, to not really know what you're looking for, but you're going around looking for stuff. And so Jesus says, don't worry because it's eagerly soaking, this, this eagerly looking around, trying to find what it is, trying to find relief in whatever you can in this world. He said, that's not characteristic of somebody who's really following Jesus. That's really characteristic of somebody who's lost. And so we shouldn't worry and act like that. Because, I mean, in reality, if you don't know Jesus and uh, you aren't following the teachings of the Bible, it really makes sense to care a lot about what's happening in this world and what's happening in your life. I mean, think about it. If you don't think there is an afterlife, if you think this world is all it is, or if you think that there is an afterlife but you're not really sure where you're going to go or what it is or what it looks like, then really it makes total sense to care a lot about what happens today because you don't know what's going to happen once you die. So you got to get everything out of this life while you can in case you lose it all. That makes sense if you're lost. But Christians, we should know better. We know the Bible teaches us that this world is not the end of it. It's not the end-all, be-all. That in Christ, you can know with 100% confidence that 
that you have eternal life with Jesus, that he died on the cross to not only redeem your soul, but to redeem your body. And the few decades we have here in this world are so short compared to the eternity of years we'll have with Christ in heaven. And so, yeah, it makes sense if you're lost to care a lot and to look around in this world and to be consumed, consumed with worry about the way things are going in this life if this world is the only thing you have to live for. But if you're a Christian, you have so much more to live for. You have eternity and you have Christ. You know, I think the past several years in our country has really opened the eyes of some people and helped us really challenged us as a church and us as believers to decide, do we really believe that this world is temporary and our home is in heaven or do we not? Because I've been shocked. I have been shocked over the last several years as I've seen the way American Christianity has gone over everything that's happened, just how stressed out some people are. <clears throat> Believers in Christ brought to tears over the economy, over you know something that's happening in this world today, over politics. And People who have been kept up at night over it. People who have lost sleep. People who have just been completely worried sick. Literally knots in their stomach over things that have happened over the last several years. And it's driving me to ask the question, man, do we really believe that we are strangers and sojourners in this world? Right. And that heaven is our eternal home? That's right. Or do we not? Mm -hmm. Jesus says, don't worry. Because worrying is characteristic of what lost people do. Jesus knew better. And he proved that he knew better when he went to the cross. Jesus knew that this life wasn't all there is for us. Jesus knew this life shouldn't be our top priority or the things in this world shouldn't be our top concern. Jesus knew that so well, he gave up his own life on a cross for your eternity. Jesus surrendered his life and he died in his 30s so that you could live forever with God. Jesus knew that eternity was way more important than anything we have here in this world. And he says, don't worry because lost people have nothing else to live for. So of course they're going to live and be worried about this world. But Jesus had his eyes on eternity. And as Christians, we should too. And so we're reminded as the author of Hebrews told us. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangled us, and let us run with endurance the race that set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so you will not grow weary or lose heart. Jesus says, if you're a Christian, stop worrying. That's what lost people do. And then he, secondly, he says, stop worrying because you have a heavenly father who knows what you need. In verse 2, the last part of that, he says, for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. You see, when you place your faith in Christ, you become a child of God. In some sense, every human being can be said we're a child of God because every human being bears God's image in some way. But the Bible talks about a special sense where only those who place their faith in Jesus are really God's children. 
it almost describes, and it describes using the words of adoption. And if you have adopted a kid, or if you know somebody who's adopted a kid, this becomes real for you because what happens in adoption is you take somebody who legally doesn't belong to you, and you pull them in, and they legally become as if they were part of your family, as if they were the exact same as anybody blood-related. And the Bible says that when we, you place your faith in Jesus Christ because of what he did on the cross, that God adopts you into his own family. And then Jesus reminds us, if you are a believer, what this God of yours is. And first, he says, hey, he's a father. Now, for some people that grew up and, and they had bad fathers, so the picture, I've talked to people who the picture of God as their father hasn't been very good and it hasn't been very cheerful. But when the Bible talks about God being a father, it's taking the best and perfect characteristics that we can think of as the ideal father and applies that only to God. He says, remember, if, you've been, if you're a Christian, you have God as a father. You have a God who loves you, who cares about you, who forgives you, who shows mercy to you, who protects you. We have a God who goes before us. We have a God who comes after us. And he says, hey, this God that you have, that's your father, he knows exactly what you need. To stop worrying. God is good. But not only is God good, he says, don't forget, your heavenly father is great. He's not just your father, he's your heavenly father. And the idea of heavenly conveys the idea of not just God being a person, but he's got glory, he's got majesty. In other words, God's not just merciful, he's also mighty. That we serve a God who's not a weakling. He's the great listener and he's the great Lord. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He created the universe. He sustains the whole universe. He molds the whole universe. He sees all things. He knows all things. He's powerful enough to hold all things. He literally could remove his hand and the whole universe would collapse. We don't serve a God who's weak. We serve a God who's mighty. You don't just have a great listener in God. You have a great Lord in God. And if you are a Christian, that's your God. He's not just a father to you. He's a mighty, heavenly father to you. It means he cares about what's going through your life, and he has the power to do something about it. And Jesus says, don't worry, because your heavenly father knows what you need. It might not be what you think you need. It might not be what you have planned out for your need, but God knows what you need. There's a little frog in Australia that has a very unique way of living, a way, very unique way of surviving that God has given. This frog lives in a part of Australia, and it's only about one inch to three inches long, uh, and it lives in a part of Australia where there's almost no rain. It very, very rarely rains over there. But every few years, there'll be a rainy season, and when that happens, the frog will come out, up out of the ground, and not only will it drink water with its mouth, its skin has actually got special ability to soak up water into its skin, so it begins to blow up like a little balloon, actually, as it soaks up water through its mouth and through its skin. And then it begins to eat and eat and eat as many insects as it can find while the water's raining. And as the, water, the rain stops, it begins to bury itself into the ground, and then using all this excess water has in it, 
It begins to build a, a mucous membrane around it that even has an air hole so it can breathe. And that frog will then live under the ground for up to six years inside its own little created mucous membrane with an air hole in it. Now, prior to today, not many of you probably even knew, if you knew about it, really cared that much about this little one-inch frog that lives in Australia, about how it's going to survive years of drought. But God cared enough about that little tiny frog to give it such a special ability it needed to weather those conditions. And a frog is not a person. A frog is not made in the image of God. A frog is not God's child. If God's willing to take care of a frog like that, do not think our Heavenly Father knows what you need to. This passage, he reminds us that we need to stop trying to be God. And let God be God. I think for a lot of us, when we do feel worried and stressed out, it's because we have a sense inside of us that we know that we're finite creatures. When we, we know that there are things that are outside of our control and the things that we can't really touch and we can't really do and we can't really see the future. And it's that loss of control, that loss of inability of knowing we can't do everything that gives us stress. And then so what we do is we try to make up for that finiteness by working hard, by thinking about it more, by being up at wake, wake at night trying to figure out things. And we try to make things happen on our own. And Jesus is reminding us, hey, you don't have to be God. You don't need to be God. We already have a God. And he's not only good, he's great. And if you place your faith in Jesus, he's your heavenly father and he knows exactly what you need. And so we need to stop going to God being like, hey, these are my plans and these are my hopes and this is what I want you to do for me, God. And, and this is what I want things to work out. If it doesn't work out exactly what I'm thinking, if my plans in my life don't turn out exactly the way I'm hoping, then all things are going to be ruined, God. God knows what you need. It might not turn out or look to us in the immediate time that it's what we need, but God knows what we need. And we have to believe as Christians that we serve a Father who's good and great. And he's not going to give us something that's not what we need at the time. And so we're reminded by Jesus to stop worrying and just let God be God. Remember earlier, Matthew chapter uh, 6, Matthew, earlier chapter 6, Jesus talked about the Lord's Prayer. This is only a few verses prior to this. You've got to realize this. Jesus said all these verses back to back in one seating. So people would have had the Lord's Prayer in their mind when he said these words. And what did Jesus say in the Lord's Prayer? He said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Give your anxieties to God. Say, God, this is what I want, but it's not my will, it's what you will, God, because I believe that you know exactly what I need. And it might be what I'm asking for, but I know you're good and you're great and you're giving me what I need. And so 1 Peter, Jesus, Paul Peter says in 1 Peter, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on God, because he cares for you. So Jesus says, stop worrying, because that's what lost people do. He says, stop worrying, because you have a Heavenly Father who knows what you need. But then you say, okay, Michael, what am I supposed to do? Just stop? 
I mean, that's hard. I mean, well, am I just supposed to be not anxious? Well, what am I supposed to do about that, Michael? I, I can't just quit doing that. Well, Jesus doesn't want you just to quit worrying. He wants you to replace worrying with something else. He doesn't want you just to remove that part of your life. He wants you to exchange it with another habit. Get rid of the bad habit by cultivating the new habit. And the new habit's in verses 33-34. Replace worrying by seeking God's kingdom. Exchange worrying with the habit of seeking God's kingdom first. Jesus says in verse 33, but first seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. He again uses this word of seek, which is Jesus knew that we're people that always are looking for something. We're always, we have to have something to aim for. We have to have something to live for. And he says, okay, if you're not going to aim for it, if you're not going to live for the things that the lost people do, here's what you need to be living for. Here's the things that you need to be prioritizing and seeking. He says, seek God's kingdom and his righteousness first. God's kingdom was a phrase that was used to describe the spread of the news of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus in our lives and in the people around us. And God's righteousness is a phrase used to describe how the standards of God and the morality of God should spread in, in our lives and the lives of people around us. So when he says seek God's kingdom and righteousness first, what he means is we got to look at ourselves and seek first that the gospel of Jesus Christ is in our own heart and then God's righteousness is growing in our own lives. And it's affecting who we are as fathers, as, as mothers, as husbands and wives, as children, as, as workers, as bosses, as students, as, as neighbors, as family members. That God's kingdom begins to rule more and more. God's righteousness begins to rule more in our lives. But then it's seeking first more as you go outside of that, looking at the people around you and the people you love and your community around here and your family and friends and desiring for God's kingdom and righteousness to grow in their lives. And being willing to do something about it. And not just sit around hoping that the pastor does something about it, but you do something about it. This passage is not addressed to pastors. It's a pastor to the whole church. And then it's to go beyond that and to care about God's kingdom and righteousness in our country. And to care about the missions throughout the world. And for that, he says to be first. And you replace worry with putting that first. Say, well, Michael, what about my finances? Jesus says, seek God's kingdom first. Well, God, what about my health? God, Jesus says, keep my kingdom first. He said, well, what about my future? What about my kids? Jesus said, just seek my kingdom first. He said, well, what about my happiness? What about my contentment? What about my life? Jesus said, keep my kingdom first. If you have a problem with verse 33, don't put it up with me. I'm not the one who said it. Jesus said, just seek my kingdom and righteousness first. But then look what he says. He says, and all these things I'll be added to you too. He says, the things you're worried about, the things you're concerned about. He says, if you keep my kingdom first and you just seek my will and my obedience first, what you need will be given to you too. Now, this passage, one thing, does not teach us. That is that if you follow God faithfully, he's going to never give you any trouble. In fact, the very next verse says, Tomorrow, 
has its own trouble. <laughs> so he says, seek God first, he'll give you all you need. The next day you're going to have trouble. So it's not telling you that if you seek God first, you'll never have pain, you'll never have sorrow, you'll never have trouble. What he is saying is that if you seek God first, he's going to give you what you need in the moment. He's going to add to you the very thing that you've been seeking for this whole time. It might not be what you planned. It might not be what you thought it was. But we serve a Heavenly Father that knows what you need. And so we're reminded even of like martyrs. You know, we have to keep passing. There's a philosophy out there that says if you just have enough faith, you can, you can claim things and God will bless you with stuff. And martyrs of Christ are a perfect example of why that's not true. Do you realize there are people dying this morning in the world? Because they refuse to recant of their faith in Jesus. While we're sitting here in this room, there are people that are getting shot at and beheaded because they're Christians. And they are following this passage. They are doing, they are seeking God's kingdom first when they're facing the firing squad. And guess what? When they stand in front of those guns, God is adding to them exactly what they need at that moment. And if God can give people like that, what they need to face that moment for the Lord, do not think he can give what you need who's not facing a firing squad this morning. It says, seek first the kingdom of God. All these things will be added to you as well. Josie goes to gymnastics practice every Friday. And one of the things they're preaching, a little toddler class, mommy and me, one thing they're teaching her and the kids is to walk on the balance beam. And so they have this balance beam. It's the same width as the real one, but it's only about this high off the ground. And they have a smiley face written in black Sharpie at the end of it. And what they, they tell the kids, the secret to walking on the balance beam, in case you want to know what I'm about to tell you, it's look at that smiley face at the end of the balance beam and just head straight for that smiley face. They're like, don't worry about whether you're going to balance, don't worry about your footwork, just walk toward that smiley face at the end and the balance will take care of itself. Now you guys know two-year-olds. How often do you think a two-year-old does that? Never. <laughs> they're, they're looking over at the older kids and wishing they could be over there on the big things. They're, they're spinning around. They're trying to talk to their buddies. They're, they're, some of them are scared and they don't move at all because they're too scared. Or some of them want to move, but, but they don't listen to the fact that they need to be at the smiley face. So they try to balance on their own strength and they just keep drilling over on those kids. Hey, if you would just get your mind off of all the stuff around you and focus on the smiling face at the end, all that other stuff, it's going to work itself out. Just head toward the smiling face at the end. And life is like that. Life is like walking on a balance beam where choices we make have consequences and bad choices can cause us to fall. And we can look around and we know that we're in a precarious situation and and we can get concerned about things and we begin to wonder, am I going to keep my balance? Am I going to fall? You know, what's, what's so-and-so doing over there? Boy, I wish I could be like them on their balance beam. I like their life going on. Or we turn around and we talk to our friends and we get so bothered about what our friends are doing. And Josie even, she'll like, instead of walking, she'll get on all fours and army crawl basically across the thing. And maybe that's how we do it. We try to army crawl across the beam instead of walk like we're supposed to. Kind of do things our own way. And Jesus says, stop. Just stop. If you 
Just look and seek first the kingdom of God at the end of the beam. All the rest of it's going to take care of itself. And so we are reminded of this passage, what we replace it with. And so we get to verse 34, and Jesus says, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has its own trouble. He says, don't worry about what's going on tomorrow. God's got tomorrow. You just care about seeking God's kingdom today. If you focus on today and obeying God today, God will take care of tomorrow. You know, Jesus, when he was speaking this passage, especially if you go all the way back to verse 19 where the section begins, he's talking to people that are really worried about what they're going to eat. They're worried about their bills. They're worried about their clothing. They have financial issues. And so Jesus is telling them essentially, hey, quit worrying about these financial issues you're going through. Just obey God's word and God will take care of you. And, that, and as an example, what we can talk about with this passage, that might be so true of you today. You might be here today, and you're, you're experiencing financial issues, and yeah, you might not be worried about your meal, but you're worried about the bills, you're worried about how you're going to be able to get your kids places or your grandkids places and that kind of stuff. And you might be tempted to cut corners. You might be tempted to go around what the Bible says regarding how we should live as Christians, how we should manage our finances as Christians, how we should be committed to the church as Christians. And... Jesus is saying, don't worry about that stuff. Just seek his kingdom first. And you might be saying, hey, if I do that, I don't know how things are going to work out. I, the math doesn't equate. I can't, I, can't, I can't just let things go and just do things the way God wants me to because I can't figure out how everything's going to balance out the way it can go. And so I, I just got to cling. I got to keep doing it my way. And... <laughs> What you don't understand is that God has ways to take care of you that you don't even realize. God has ways to provide for you that you can't even do on your own. And in fact, God might have a blessing for you in heaven waiting for you. But he hasn't given it to you yet because you haven't repented and sought him first. And if you would just repent and seek him first, he would open up the floodgates of heaven and pour that blessing down on you. You don't know that. That could be true. In fact, you might be stressed out and worried today. You might be anxious and feeling like a knot in your stomach today because you've been trying to do things your own way instead of seeking God. And so we really get down to the question of who do you really trust? Jesus isn't talking about planning wisely. He's not talking about not having forethought. But he's saying there's a difference between acting wisely, submitting to God, and acting worriedly because you don't trust God. Who do you really trust, yourself or God? The cool thing about Josie, when we're there at that um, gym, and she's on the balance beam, is, you know, she doesn't walk that balance beam by herself. Do you realize that? When she's on that, she's two years old, she's a kid. She's a child. So when she's on that balance beam, you know where I'm at. I'm right next to her. Now, I might not always be touching her and stuff, but I'm right there. And if Josie begins to lose her balance and she begins to lose her strength, 
All she has to do is reach out and grab my hand, and I'm already there standing next to her. She just has to grab my hand for help. If she begins to fall, I pick her up, I put her back on the beam, because that's what good fathers do. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you're not walking this life alone either. You don't have to worry, not just about, am I going to make things? You don't even have to worry about, how do I seek first the kingdom of God first? Because you can't even seek the kingdom of God first in your own strength. But you're standing with Christ who can strengthen you. And all you've got to do is reach out your hand and grab it. All you've got to do is look to him daily by prayer, meditation, the Bible, and seek him out. And Jesus can empower you. He, he's there to forgive you when you fall. He's there to pick you up when you're down. And he's there to help you balance when you don't have the strength to balance. You just have to realize he's there and seek him. Jesus doesn't give us a command without giving us the ability to do it. He doesn't tell you to seek first the kingdom of God instead of worrying without also standing there right next to you when you do. And here's the reminder we have, the cool thing we have when it comes to Jesus. That is we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness every day. And as we learn to grab the hand of Christ every day for the strength to do that, as we learn to trust and obey God every day despite what's happening around us, and we just press on. One of these days as Christians, all our days are going to be past us. And we're going to shut our eyes on earth. And we're going to wake up with our feet touching the streets of gold. And our ears hearing the sound of angels. And that face that you've been walking to for all those years of your life, is it going to be a distant face anymore? But you're going to be face to face with him. And he's going to smile at you. And he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. What an awesome day that's going to be for us who are driven through Christ, who are following Christ, who are seeking out his kingdom first. And so what color is the bracelet on your watch today, on your wrist today? If you were to have one of those, would it be green, would it be yellow, would it be red? Ease anxiety by seeking God's kingdom. Next few moments, we'll pray, and I'm going to give you a chance to respond to that. And maybe here today you've realized that you've been holding on to things that have caused you to have worry and anxiety in your life. And you realize what you need to do is repent of that and follow God. Do that today. Make this time of commitment where you pray to God, just like it says in 1 Peter, God, I'm going to pour my cares upon you, and I'm going to faithfully follow you, and I'm just going to call out to you for the strength and the power and the peace to flood my life when I do that. Trusting that you'll take care of me. I know it might be hard in the temporary. I know it might be difficult for time. But I'm trusting in the long run, God, you've got me in your hands because you're a good, good father. Maybe you need to pray a prayer like that today. Maybe you're here and you, you know as a step in God's obedience, you need to get baptized or join a local church. Because the way God's kingdom spreads and the worth established by Jesus is through a local church. Do that today. You know, talk to me about it. I'd love to talk to you about being baptized or being a member of our church. Or maybe you're here, you're listening online, and you know you haven't placed your faith in Jesus. These promises are true for those who are children of God. And Jesus died on the cross. He gave up his own life so that you could have that status. And through, simply through faith in Jesus, you can be forgiven of your sins and have a relationship with God. Just have to repent and turn and turn to him. And if you need to do that today, talk to me. We'll go online, greensportbaptistchurch at gmail.com. Comment below. I'd love to talk to you about how you can become a child of God today. So let's pray.